Hi, you're listening to The Business of Farming, a series of talks from the Young Farmer Business Program brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. I'm Selena Shannon, and this episode was recorded at the 2020 conference in Dubbo. In February 2020, we worked with producer Corey Haig to create the podcast Propagate. The series highlights some of the best young farmers across New South Wales. It shares the stories of how these people turned a dream into a successful business. Corey came to the conference and brought along some of our favourite voices from Propagate, like Jared Amory. I loved agriculture like everybody here today. And when I was 11 years old, I remember my father said to me, Jared, you will never get my property. And Paul Aquilina. I was um, young. I watched Perfect Storm. Like, hell yeah, I want to be a fisherman. And Olympia Yaga. And I told my careers advisor after boarding school that I was going to go uh, into agriculture and she told me that St Clair's girls did not become farmers. In a time when it can feel unfeasible to begin a career in agriculture, Jared, Paul and Olympia have each created successful businesses in the industry and all three did so before the age of 30. In the session you're about to hear, each panellist shares the story of how they got started, the trials and tribulations and the wins that come with starting a business. Thank you very much. This session has a language warning. I think we're, yeah, we're turned on. Um, I just want to actually start by thanking all you guys for being here because I'm sure you all have probably about a billion reasons that you, that you could have been working today, but instead you've come here and probably worked in a different way. So I think that's really cool. And I think you should probably all give yourselves a round of applause for that. There you go. There you go. Now, while, while we're all feeling good, I think we should all shake it out a little bit as well and we should take a look up there and we should absolutely subscribe to this podcast. I hope that everyone is already on board with podcasts because they're, well, they're amazing to, to while away the hours in between doing lots of things. But they're also good to do while doing things. Um, I don't think I'd wash a dish if it wasn't for podcasts. So if you, have, if you struggle with certain tasks around your life, you should probably jump on board. The good thing about the podcast is that it features these people. So it doesn't feature me, although you do get to hear me be attacked by chickens, if that makes you feel any better. Yeah, no, I was, I was savaged by chickens. It was terrible. Um, but it was worth it, you know, because I got to talk to these people. And I do have a confession. Normally when I do a story about a bunch of people, I'm absolutely tired of them by the time I've finished editing it. Um, I've probably heard them say the same thing about 600 times with these guys. I was so looking forward to seeing them today because I really wanted to know how they were getting on. I wanted to know how they'd grown, I wanted to know how they'd developed. And I'm, I'm feeling that if you do download the podcast, you'll probably feel the same way. Anyway, it's probably time to officially introduce them now. Um, what I find most interesting about these guys, there's a sporting analogy and it says, there are some people in life that were born on third base and they think they hit a triple. So if you're not a baseball nerd, it basically means you were literally the closest base to home possible, but you think that you somehow achieve something amazing. None of these people are like that. Uh, I dare say, if we're going to keep the sporting analogy going, they were up there, they had two strikes on them and it wasn't looking good, and yet they've all come through in a really meaningful way. Um, These aren't people who, you know, were given a small loan of a million dollars or something like that. These people worked hard. Um, So to see them where they are today is is truly impressive. Um, I think I'll start with Jared, because Jared is such a genuinely optimistic person that it took me a little while to get used to. 
Uh, I'm a jaded person and everyone I, in my life is a jaded person. So to meet with Jared and his young family was just amazing because it, there was a, a genuine sort of love in the house and a genuine love for what they were doing. Um, I think we can all probably agree that there's, again, there's a million reasons to be jaded like me, but instead, you know, Jared finds a reason to be optimistic. Um, he has managed to find himself the dream farm and you only managed that a few years ago, wasn't it? So I think that's pretty impressive to, to visit someone's property that you know, they've just moved into rather than, oh yeah, it's been in the family for 100 years. Uh, so I think we should all welcome Jared. And our, our dressed up colleague that we have here is Paul. I really appreciate you uh, dressing up for us today. It's, it's good. Paul Aquilina was probably destined for being around the water with a name like Aquilina. Um, and, you know, that sort of outfit going on as well. That's my best. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what I think sort of impressed me the most about you was that you keep saying, oh, I'm not a businessman, and yet everything you do is focused towards your business. In fact, you seem to think that you're not a businessman, but everything in your whole life is driven towards one point. And I think that's... If you're going to be generous, I would say you're not a businessman, you're an entrepreneur. You know, you're someone who's really out there working hard. Um, What's amazing to me is that you're, you're a young dad and you enjoy yeah. surfing, yeah. but you also enjoy fishing in your time off. Yeah, that's what we do. It's literally what you do for a living. Yeah, that's right. I don't know how you define when you're fishing for work or you're fishing for fun, so yeah. it, I'm glad you're here, though, and I'm glad you dressed up for us. Thank you. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, um, is Olympia Yaga, who, well, you've done some things. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I think... I think you're probably the only person I've ever met that actually referred to yourself as a maggot lady. It's true, probably. Yeah, um, and you're certainly the happiest maggot lady that I've ever I met. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you've been honoured by scientists, you've won awards, you've been in front of a lot of people over the years. In fact, you're probably the only one who's actually used to being up here on stage. <laughs> you never miss a bargain on Gumtree, and if you do, you do have connections with certain military personnel out there in the world, so be careful, you don't want to go up against Olympia when it comes to Gumtree. <laughs> Olympia's had a bit of a rough month, so I think we should give her a very warm welcome. <laughs> so just to reiterate what the point of today is, is that it is about people who have made it themselves. They're not here to tell you about, just get lucky or just, just get richer parents or something like that. They're, they're people that really have made the effort themselves. So I think it's really worthwhile going back to the start and trying to figure out what was your start. So how did you get involved in all this, Jared? Um, into ag? Yeah. I was brought up on a farm um, at a place called Nathalia, which is on the Victoria, New South Wales border. And I was absolutely passionate about agriculture. I loved agriculture like everybody here today. And when I was 11 years old, I remember my father said to me, Jared, you will never get my property. And I thought Thank, to myself... Thanks, why, would he, why would he say that? Because the, tra the family succession thing in his family went terrible. So he just said that to me, and I thought, that's okay, I'll get my own. So I had that goal in my life ever since I was 11 to get my own farm, and it was, I was just so ruthless and passionate about that. And do you want to know a bit more about that? Well, ruthless yet? and passionate is uh, the two two pretty good defining features but I think that you've got a weirder way in Paul because uh, 
you sort of kept being told, don't do this, and that it just made you want to do it more. Yeah, that's right. I was um, oh, young. I watched Perfect Storm. I'm like, hell yeah, I want to be a fisherman. <laughs> and then... Doesn't everything go horribly wrong for those guys? Yeah, it just, I just did it, even though they all kind of died. But I still did it. <laughs> oh, they're just, just more fish for you, isn't it? Yeah, they? yeah. So um, I didn't go to school much and then went fishing for free a lot. And then they said, if you want to work on the boat, you got to do a trade. And then they all kept saying it, so I did it. And then I come back and then got a job on a boat and then was getting paid. Then a business can't police, got a business. And then bought the business and then now I'm here. That sounds rather businessy for someone who doesn't consider themselves a business person. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm certainly not going to... I think, you again, you have to download the podcast to find out Olympia's story, which is genuinely amazing. But you've always had a desire to be in farming. It was sheep. Just wanted to farm sheep. I still think sheep farming's the... It would be the, it's the best career ever which is impractical at this stage. But um, for me, um, I lived in town. In camera, my family had just... It was first generation off the farm. And I told my careers advisor after boarding school that I was going to go uh, into agriculture and she told me that St Clair's girls did not become farmers. <laughs> and I told her to sod off. And I moved to the Monero and... Got my wool classing certificate and worked in Rouseabout and did all the stuff and, you know, all the rubbishy jobs that you do when you just want to be out there wearing a flannelly and driving a four-wheeler. That's, yeah. I mean, it sort of brings us to the next thing because a desire to farm is one thing but an actual, okay, how do I do this? Yeah. So how did you then go, all right, I want to be a sheep farmer too? Maggot farming? <laughs> Well, I'm still maggot farmer. You, if you're a sheep farmer, you're a maggot farmer. It's just a different... Yeah, to a greater or lesser degree, isn't it? Yeah. You're not supposed to be, but you are. Um, yeah, like, life happened, as it does to all of us. So I, um, I ended up in the north, and I was working export cattle yards, and then I went to the US for what was going to be a year and a half of training horses and ended up meeting a really pretty person, and I married him. And then and he was American, and so I had to stay. But there isn't, farming in, Australia, in America is much different and where we lived there was no, uh, an hour and a half before you could get to any of the piggeries, uh, we were in North Carolina, or the poultry farms and so I ended up in media and digital um, social engineering. And so by the time we came back to Australia we thought we had done all the right things to set ourselves up to purchase a farm, but um, credit wise I was 16 again because I'd been gone from Australia for 14 years. <clears throat> All of our equity was American. My husband's income was American. And so we, yeah, like a kid at McDonald's had a better chance of buying a farm than we did. And so it was about trying to figure out a way that I could farm. So we went down that hole like, there'll be 200 chickens. Their names will be Marigold and Gladys and we'll sell their eggs for $20 a dozen at the <laughs> farmer's markets. And if only we could figure out a way to feed them to make this a viable business, then we'll be there. So. Maggots was just going to be a vehicle to feed the chickens to make us so we could have a farm, even though it would be like two acres. Um, but maggot farming is like a farm on its own. And so after about a year of raising maggots in my garage and potentially having flies in my kitchen, I realised that I'd started a farm and it was just a different one. Well, I have flies in my kitchen and I don't have a farm, so you've done pretty good. I you mean, were trying to keep yours dead, I'm trying to keep mine alive. But what's interesting about that was there was a sort of a practical realisation of, okay, here's what I want, 
here's what's happening. How do I make it happen? I mean, it's, it's interesting because I, I know enough of your story to know that you could have gone off and done your own thing sure. pretty easily. So I'm sort of curious about that idea of saying, I'll do what I need to do until I get what I want. And I think you're a pretty good case for that, Jared. Like, how did you wind up going from... Because you've done a lot of things and you've worked in a lot of places, to then saying, it's ours now, we've got our dream farm. How did we get there? Um, when, I was, when I was about nine, I started trading rabbits and then that went to uh, selling eggs and I had pigs, cattle, sheep, and a lot of that was... I had nowhere to run them, but I'd have to find adjustment for these things because I own no land. And um, my father helped me. Uh, he was support all the way. My mum and dad have always supported me. It's not like they said you couldn't, you're not having our farm. It was like they just didn't want to set me up for failure. And I also more, more or less thought that gave me more drive to pursue what I wanted to have in life. And um, do you want to know more of the story? No? I mean, I, I, I do. I do also want to whiz through these wonderful people too because, oh, you know, you know no, no, that's all good. But, I mean, you're, you're another good example because you, you, you said, oh, I was just fishing, I was doing it for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other fishermen over there, yeah. Yeah, I was just yeah, finding yeah. them, hi. <laughs> you were saying that, you know, you were doing things for free. Did you know that, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this or was it just a matter of like, oh, well, I want to fish anyway, so here's what it takes? Yeah, it was just fun and it's learning because when you're competition, no one wants to help you. So, like, I'm on the Hawkesbury and not really anyone wants to help you. They don't want to teach you nothing. Whereas all you farmer people can sit in the same room. If there's a bunch of fishermen from my river, it would all be in a big brawl. Because they all just carry on, like, just They're salty. Idiots. They're a bit salty. Yeah, everyone's salty on each other. It, it's actually... Because you mentioned actually something similar, Olympia, that did you have people coming to you and saying, oh, how do I do this? And it's like, well, you've kind of created your own creation almost haven't you yeah it turns out maggot farming is really secretive which is odd because like we're all doing it in our bins but um <clears throat> it, the the interesting thing about starting a new farming system which i didn't realize is that um it's actually really hard to commercialize and domesticate a new species and and so once you figure it out you're like i am the coolest person that ever walked the planet and nobody will know what i know and it's like Everyone knows because, like, it's happening in the 240 out the back. Like, it's so, yeah. So there's, it's a highly um, venture capital invested industry, and so wherever VCs are involved, um, you must you must define your value by things that nobody else can do. And so a lot of people have said, I am the only person that can farm maggots in a bucket as well as these maggots are being farmed in a bucket. And because it's not normal to do this, nobody has a benchmark to know whether your maggots are better than anyone else's. You have the Rolls Royce of maggots. I'm very excited for when maggots hit the Royal Show. I can't wait to see how that goes. Like, because we're showing cattle at the Royal Show and they're like, what is it? Yeah, like, do we roll them out on like a little bit of AstroTurf? We call him Bell Chambers Park 623. <laughs> a nice little sash on. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the VC because that is such a huge thing. Money is everything. I mean, I think we've all got, you know, ideas of what we'd do is if we had, uh, you know, a genie or a, that's a blank check. So I, I'm, I'm sort of wondering just quickly sort of how you guys managed to, to go from that point of like, I want to do this thing to I now have a thing. Was it, was it loans? What was the story? So I'll, I'll start with you. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, mate. So how did, how did we go from nothing to something? Jeez. Oh, I, I, um, I guess I did the adjustment. I'd go and find adjustment, and then I'd go and buy the stock because I had no land, so I'd go and find. And some blokes would give you a bit of dirt for nothing. So that was real handy, and you'd go and buy them a mag light or something. They'd think that was pretty cool. So that's how I, I, I did that. I, um, I saved. I saved heaps. I worked at a supermarket for a period of time because Dad said, I don't want you to come back on the farm until you work for somebody else. So that was really good. I worked at a supermarket, and they all called me tight ass because I never spent a dollar that I've made. <laughs> and uh, I also did things. I had pigs and things going on at home, and I remember once there's a promotion on this yogurt, and I was the dairy manager. So I, I, I thought I could see there's a $2.50 cash back. So I looked, and then they were on, on sale for a dollar. So I bought a pellet loads of this yogurt and sent all these tokens to all my friends to collect the $2.50 rebate. Um, like, and so I was just, and I was feeding the yogurt to the pigs. So I was just trying to make money any way that I could make money. Uh, wow, that's amazing. Wasn't there like a story about an American doing that and like, flying around the world for the rest of his life because he bought all the pudding that had... Anyway, long story. <laughs> it, there is, in fact. It's true. I know it. So, I mean, what about you, Nipper? Because... Um, what do I do? I... Because, come... to be fair, like, when you say a tucker run, that's literally... Oh, yeah. They give you food so, and go, all right, you, go, yeah. you get to work. I mean, that's not a very good deal, I don't think. So, I... what I used... I used to go to sea and go fish trawling, so towing it in on the bottom for fish in, like, up to 700 metres of water. And you'd go out for a day or two days or three days and then they'd feed me and I'd come over with a smile on my face. And then, um, yeah. It's not a good deal. I don't think anyone in here would agree with that. That's sometimes they'd let me take fish. Sometimes the stingers would make me buy the fish. Oh so God. it just depends. But then I got a leasing business and I leased a fishing business. How, how old were you when you did that? Um, 18. Yeah, green peas, 18. That, that's, pretty, that's pretty big. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Green peas, got so, the boat. Um, so, yeah, I did that and I leased a business and I got a tinny and an old heap of shit engine. And um, I was paying 250 a week and 20% of the catch and I was catching eels for export market. And then, yeah, I did that. Then that went on and then I eventually bought in when a reform come through and kind of turned my fishing life upside down. And then I got a business and I'm here now, so... Well, it's, yeah, yeah, it's good that you touch on the, um, I, I'm not going to use your word, but the not-so-wonderful motor and boat and that yeah, stuff that you yeah. had. I mean, like, how, how crucial is it to be sort of frugal in the early days? Because I reckon everyone here is probably pretty, pretty lean with their spending, shall we say. I don't even know what that word means. Stingy. Are you stingy? Oh, no. No, not really. But you were in there. I mean, you had to be in Oh, the not in the old days. I'd just have no money and eat fish. <laughs> That's what I do. You but, are, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did save, and then I don't know. I just bought heaps of cheap rubbish off everybody, and then eventually I'd catch a lot of fish and make a good bit of money, and then just go buy a new thing. And then, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because for you, Olympia, I've seen your your facilities. Yeah. They're impressive, but they're not glamorous. No. 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 So okay. A pretty boat doesn't catch fish. A not, a, I don't know, a heap of shit boat that works catches fish. That's right. Yeah. I, in fact, I think you all actually echoed something fairly similar when I spoke to you, which is in the podcast. <laughs> um, that, that it is about, it's not necessarily about, I mean, you had a good way to put it, Olympia. You said it wasn't about being frugal for the sake of being frugal. It was about kicking the can along of your business. Yeah, so um, I did, I, I 
caught my uh, larva from the wild. I figured out how to get them to grow commercially. Like, like I closed the loop in my garage. And that, at the time, they were all, like, and stuff that I'd bought from the tip recycle. So, like, there's actually a video of me crying over, like, an old baby bath because I found the first maggots that I'd... Like, and my husband's like, what are you doing? I'm like, crying. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because the maggots are here. Like, it's it's pretty funny. Um, but when we... We raised... I know, it's tragic. Particularly because I remember 18-year-old me, like, die! Like, just pouring stuff on the backs of sheep, making things trying to kill maggots. Um, and now I'm like, please live, please. So, um, but we, I drove Uber for a really long time on top of my normal job. Um, and then, I, and I did a bunch of other sort of rubbishy things to just, you know, wherever you could scrape extra cash. Um, and then I got an angel investment and a really small government grant because um, the ACT government has the only uh, innovation-backed grant that doesn't require extra money. So most grants are like, yeah, we'll give you five bucks, but you have to have five bucks. I'm like, well, if I had five bucks, I wouldn't need your five yeah, bucks. Yeah, thanks, like, guys. I, Very generous, yeah. <laughs> I, I just need five. Like, and so, I don't need um, ten, I need five. Yeah, that's right. And so that 50 grand got us to the point where we, could, we had built the first piece of tech well, I had built the first, it was pretty tragic, bit of tech that could um, autonomously monitor and manage and feed insects. So using um, sensor-driven hardware to the cloud. And so we raised $1.2 million with venture capital on a system, and I'm not joking. The trays were orange and peach trays that you get from the markets. So I couldn't afford plastic trays. So I was feeding everything in these cardboard trays. We had plastic liner, which was a shower curtain. And then the shelving thing that was like, it was like, it's a testament to sales ability because I was like, so imagine a 20 foot shipping container with all of these. And these won't be cardboard, they'll be plastic. And it'll be delightful. And, but we'd had it all in a really humid room and the brand was what we were showing. The, so it was a mealworm. We're like, oh, we're going to feed them. And, and anyway, we turn, kick the computer on and we're all like very excited. And then here comes a screw auger and it's like, <laughs> and nothing's moving because it's so humid. The brands got stuck. And so we're all just standing there and the investor's like, is it supposed to be coming out? And we're like, hmm, yep. And we're like kicking it, trying to get it to go. But venture capital is about innovation and ideas and so that they saw what we had but 1.2 million dollars when you're building 20 foot hard, uh, shipping container size hardware is not a lot of money um, so GoTerra like I have cool rooms at GoTerra that because we are in the industrial area of Canberra um, I've got cool rooms that I've like dragged back to the warehouse on the top of my Hyundai i30 <laughs> and it's absolutely true I have seen it I mean, yeah. from five dollars to uh, to a million, that's not bad. That's I'd take those. I think that's a much better deal than hanging out on a boat for free. <laughs> um, I, it's actually interesting talking about the the loans because I know both. Well, everyone. I mean, God, we're all in debt. But I was wondering how you felt, Paul, when you first got a loan, going from like, oh, I'll go on the boat for free, to like, I oh, now I need to get a loan. I, I need to kick this along. Yeah, um, it was all right. It was just, yeah, I got a loan. Sick. And then <laughs> I just did it. Just, yeah, got it. I, the first, I got save money, obviously, and then got a boat, and it was a heap of shit. And then the engine went, and then I had to get a loan to get a new engine. And then, 
So once you uh, crack that, that first seal, you're like, ah, loans. Yeah, this well, it's good. just like, yeah, it's kind of, it's pretty easy to borrow money, believe it or not. Those credit cards, they're great things. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Jared? Because I know that you, you've obviously been through a lot to get to where you are. So how did you sort of approach the loans mentally? Um, my focus, my, one of my major focus was to reinvest into appreciating assets. So whatever I spent my money on had to appreciate. I just keep dri driving my Subaru Brumby into the ground. And um, when, I, when I reached 20 years of age, I'd through shearing and working and whatever else, I'd say 40 grand to get the uh, get my first farm, which was 75 grand for 60 acre block, uh, irrigated block, and so to get to get the funds I needed, as I said, I got the adjustment, some of it next to nothing. I also approached farmers that were retiring, because you'll approach. Farmers that retire have the exact opposite problem to what you have. You're looking for money and they've got so much money they're going to be paying tax. So I, I just come in and said, look, um, would, I've, I've just leased a thousand acres. I ain't got enough money to stock it. Mr. Patrick, would you mind if I took all of your sheep, paid him good money, but I said I'm not going to pay you for two years. So I got two lots of lambs, two clips of wool. I'd made a fortune out of them and then paid him. So that's another way I got, got money. So is that you like knocking on someone's door saying, hello sir, may I, have, may I please have a minute of your time? Yep, because I don't think you'll get far in life if you just sit back and expect it to fall into your lap. And um, another finance thing, um, there's a neighbour down the road, I didn't know him very well at all, and. Uh, Emma and I, we'd, we'd saved and saved and bought, bought the 60 acres, we bought 400 acres and then there was my dream farm that I wanted, the dream farm and I went to Mr. Penkeldy and I said, Mr. Penkeldy, I went into his house, I'd only met him twice, I said, Mr. Penkeldy, I know your farm's for sale and you want top dollar and I want to buy it but will you loan me the money? <laughs> That's a great, that's almost as good a deal as getting on that boat for free. He says, Jalad, Jalad, he's an Italian, Jalad, you, my farm is worth millions of dollars and you will never buy my property. I was like, you know what? I wasn't rude, but I just didn't take that on board. Because, <laughs> because I just want to encourage you, if you, if you got a goal and you're passionate enough to get there, do not let someone sideline you with negative words like that. And within six months, Mr. Pankaldi passed away. <laughs> you showed him. And then I went, to, I went to the bank. They said, no, we won't give you the money. So I decided on a plan. I got what's called a put option. We agreed on a price, but I would not buy the land. I had to pay for it in one year. So I needed to get 160 grand net profit to go on top of what I'd already saved, my equity that I already had, and we just slid under the door. So, so whatever you do, whatever you do, don't think you need the cash. There's, there's, there's other ways and means to get what you need. Do not let a Disney villain tell you that you can't do what you want to do. Because they might be dead in six months' time, which is just, <laughs> that's a great result, really. That's the good times. I want to hear about the bad times. I love hearing about the bad times. I, sometimes they're called learnings or uh, experiences. Uh, 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 let, me, let me hear some of your learnings, Paul. Oh, okay. 
Um, well, what's, what's been the worst sort of like, ugh, this is going to end badly? Or this is not what I wanted? Uh, probably the first time I blew a boat engine up. That wasn't very good, and then you couldn't go to work, and I'm running around with um, an electric motor of a car battery doing my eel traps. Yeah, well, water and uh, electricity is a perfect combination, isn't yeah, it? Really? Yeah, it worked yeah. for a bit. That was probably <laughs> one of the bad ones. Um, I mean, that's a good story about overcoming something. Yeah. And, you know, but so, so it blew, and you're like, oh, I don't yeah. have the capital, I don't have the... No, not at the time, no. So well, how then, did you get around that? Um, just use the electric motor and... Pretty much legit, I used an electric motor and um, luckily enough it rained. We had a fresh down the river and I caught a few eels and I got lucky that time. But then the second time, like I had my trawler engine blow up, that wasn't good. And then I thought, oh, I've got a sick idea, I want to buy another trawler because the other one's broken. So I did. And then that one ended up being broken and I got ripped off. <laughs> so then I was like, in big deep crap. And then um, I tried to get a loan, and because I met a girl and went up the coast and didn't work for about eight months, then that ended up really bad, so, yeah. But and she didn't die in six months, so it's okay. Yeah. She, she wasn't dead in six months' so time. So then I had to, um, then I had to kind of knuckle down and get into it. And then we found out we are having a kid, which is bloody awesome. And then um, I started saving a bit of money, and then... I saved a bit more, saved a bit more, and my dad ended up saying, hey, um, I don't want my grandson living in a cave or on a boat, so he ended up helping me out a little bit, and then I got there in the end. So, because I couldn't get a loan, which was lucky I got helped for, like, the first time with money. Just to touch on that really briefly, though, I know that you also dealt with some government loans, did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got, um, when the reform come through, the Rural Assistance Authority, I got um, given an $80,000 loan, and that helped when the f commercial fishing reforms went through because pretty much, well, to me, it was like I had to buy out, if I'm a farmer, I had to buy out three other farms to stay the farmer. So I had to buy out a lot of other fishermen just to be a fisherman. So if I didn't get that loan, I would have been pretty buggered. Yeah, I mean, access yeah. to money is always a huge thing. You yeah. were a little bit more um, adventurous, shall we say, or, or bartery in terms Desperate of Desperate, sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't have, there was nothing, like, it's, we couldn't just start maggot farming. There's no, there's no infrastructure, there's no rule, there's no field days, there's, there's no, there's nothing that separates the R&D from the commercialisation, and you can't stay in R&D forever, because it's just money, and so, um, there was really only one way, and that would be my own capital or somebody else's, and so um, I didn't have any, so it was going to be somebody else's. Um, so we raised, we, we're just finishing our second round now, but we raised the first seed round um, a year and a half ago. And the thing is about, like, when you, you can't just go with a good idea, and that's why your story is so interesting, because you've got to go knowing exactly what the hell you want and how the person you're asking is going to help you. And sometimes we go and we just go, no, I've got this really idea, good idea, and, and that's all you give them. And they're like, well, I don't know what that means to me, so good luck to you. And so it's been a bit about figuring out what we did and how that would return value to the people we were taking money from. Um, and for us, it was about the tech. Um, but the hardest stuff has, for me certainly has been like the imposter syndrome. So, and I cop it from all sides because I'm Catholic and guilt is real. And so um, the, the, um, it's mostly like I'm not really a farmer, I'm in Fishwick, it's not 
sheep, it's maggots, and, and then I don't really belong here, but I don't really belong there. And then on top of that, it's like, oh, and I built this robot, which works, and everyone's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm not an engineer. This is totally plausible. And so, like, those things are really difficult to reconcile um, because you're sort of like, how are you here? person you know and so um the hardest stuff for me has been around that the worst so far to date aside from the last three months which just don't make sense for us um but the before the last three months which um being in hellmouth which is canberra right now has been really hard um the worst day we had was i had just closed around the money had just hit the bank and for those of us who've had money come into our bank like that it's just like oh my god um and i was going to meet my investor so i felt pretty cocky i was i had a little bit of a thing to it i was like yeah and um as i was walking into the coffee shop to speak with our lead investor who's a really great guy um my senior production engineer uh called me and she's like they're on the ceiling and i'm like what's on the ceiling and she's like they are all on the ceiling and i'm like who is on the freaking ceiling? I'm about to talk to Jeremy. Lionel Richie is yeah. talking. So every Avery at GoTerra gets anywhere between, well, back then, because we weren't very efficient, about 100 kilos of lava in it a week. Now we're way more efficient. The egg production's better, so we do about 15 kilos for the way more production. Um, but at the time, it had about 115 kilos of pupa ready to turn into flies in an eight-foot, uh, like, cubic, sort of old-school cool room. And uh, the sensor had blown. And we try to keep each of the aviaries where the flies are need to be 32 degrees and about 50% humidity. But if the sensor is blown, it doesn't know what humidity it's at. And so it just keeps punching humidifying, humidified air into the aviary, which then turns into condensation, which drowns the flies. But what it also does is it wakes those pupa up and they're like, shit, it's wet in here. We should leave. But we can't because there's nowhere to go. So like something out of a horror movie, there was a hundred and some kilos of black lava just like on the ceiling. And then a couple of them had found a way out through a grate. They're like, Barry, over here. So they're like coming out and like, like that. Remember that story when we were kids about the porridge and it wouldn't stop boiling over? Maybe it's just me. Anyway, so, so they're sending me these photos and I'm like, I can't go in now and talk to this dude that just gave me a, like, because he's like, how are the maggots? And I'm like, they're great. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. But it's me, so I can't fake it. And I've decided in life that when stuff's shit and it's hard that I'm going to have to do two things, I'm going to have to laugh and I'm going to have to openly admit that it's true. Because as soon as I say it out loud, it stops being as scary. And so my, um, and that's something actually that is being really unique in the experience we've had with our investors. So we have four of the leading uh, tech and venture cap, uh, social impact investors on our cap table. And we're very fortunate but we don't engage with them traditionally. So I, after I got over how stressful it was, I, he said, you know, no, really, you know, how are you guys doing? What's going on? I'm like, well, this is happening right now. And then I'm like, and look over here, they're coming out of the vent. And he's like, oh my God, like, how is this something I'm watching? But it meant then when things have been challenging moving forward, it's not a, like they start to understand it, right? We're not a SaaS platform. And so now when we say, look, 
you know, in the last, we've, the smoke has caused us problems. We've had rolling blackouts because of the weather. Uh, lost two roofs in the hailstorm and all the cars from all our staff got totaled and that's been the last 30 days. Um, yeah, when we call them and just say, this is what's happening, this is what's happening to the flies, they have a bearing of what that means and so they help instead of stress. And I think that's something it's not easy to do. Um, we try instead to cover up that we're failing and we're like, nah, nothing to see here, I'm fine. What's wrong with your leg? Nothing, it's just a flesh wound. It is a scratch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not true. And I think every time you try to tell yourself that you're not, that you're fine when you're really not, you're actually, it's almost like a little bit of emotional self-harm. And particularly when you're sort of living close to the edge and pushing your business and trying to make your business, you know, you can sit in comfort land all day long, but it doesn't take you anywhere. And so you've always got to be sitting right at the edge of where shit's uncomfortable. And so I think you end up needing to be way more real with where you're at once when you're standing out there than, than you are. You know, you just can't afford to hide the feelings part, I don't think. That's a really interesting way to look at it, that if things are going crazy, yeah, you can say, yep, nope, everything's fine. Or you can go, woof, man, things are crazy. That like, Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering, like you have investors, but you have a wife, Jared. <laughs> so I'm wondering, well, I know who's scarier, but I'm wondering... How do you approach that sort of family business sort of thing? Because, you know, you guys are in it. You're, it's, it's a 24-7 thing. You don't, you don't leave the farm to go home. You, farm is home. Yep. Is this about tough times? Or? Well, just, just how do you kind of reconcile the fact that you guys work together, you have to create roles, you have to make it work sort of thing? Yeah. Well, my wife, Emma, she's not here today, unfortunately. She couldn't be here, but she is amazing. She's absolutely amazing. And we are a fantastic team. And I just want to encourage you that you really need a great team, mate. You need a great team, mate, in this, in this game that we're in called farming. And um, as far as challenges are concerned, I remember on probably three or four occasions in my agricultural career trying to get on my feet, actually crying. I was like, this is so painful, so painful. I remember bursting out of the bedroom one day and I said, Emma, I prefer to live in a tent than a palace. We're going to make this work. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I prefer to live in a tent than be on wages and live in a palace. I was just so passionate to see our business happen. And um, my wife, Emma, she's been amazing. And I just remember in 2008, we sown this crop and the mice just cleaned it up. And we sown and, it. And you're not a mouse farmer. And we, 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 no. well, we, we baited, we did everything right, and we sown again. And mind you, we'd put the atrazine out already. Anybody that knows cropping, so we were forced into the canola again. Mice came again. And um, that year was a good year, but we didn't have a crop because the mice took it. But there's been some extremely challenging times. But I just want to encourage every single person here today that your greatest challenge can be your greatest opportunity. It is surprising how little you will learn when things are going good. Yeah. And when things are tough, it's time to sit down and say, you know what, what have we done more wrong and what can we do better in the future? So if you're here today and you're feeling a bit depressed about things and how things are going, I just want to encourage you to go home and write a list of all the things that haven't worked and all the things you're gonna aim to improve in the future, because there's no, no better time than now to make improvements and change.
That's that, yeah, I think that is good advice. I think that it's probably worthwhile not, not making sure the list is too long on one side though, like, you know, not going too, I've, I've done that before, that's for sure. I'm, I'm wondering about, not the idea of making it, but when was it a time that you've sort of stopped and gone, oh, this is what I wanted, or this was what I dreamt of, or this is what I'd been planning to do? I'd love to know from you, because, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I knew it was good when I was like, I don't know, you sit on the veranda and I live waterfront now, so like where you're sitting is the river. So I can sit on the veranda in my jocks and have a long neck and like, <laughs> this is my place. You are living the dream. Like, and then I go, I've always wanted to be like that fisherman with that cool dog and you go to the boat ramp and like the older folks will be like eel boy and then the young kids will be like eel man and then they'll like know me as the eel kid and then eventually, oh, you bought a trawler and now I can look in the paddock and like I look at the river and I've got my trawler tied up out the front of my wharf and then I look down the back and I've got two net boats, an eel boat, a fish trapping boat and my other prawn trawler in the paddock and you're like, yeah, this is sick. Like, I've always wanted this and I've finally done it. Yeah. What about you, Jared? Like, what was the moment that you sort of stopped? Um, was, it, was it buying the place? Yeah, well, Emma and I, we bought two farms and um, my wife was a school teacher for a period of time and then we had six children and um, so she was... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I buried the lead on that one, didn't I? Uh, yeah, six kids, so... Uh, so she was a full-time mum at home and um, our goal, our goal, mind you, we, we bought a house in town because that's all we could afford. So I just want to encourage you once again, if you can't buy a farm, just don't sit back waiting for something to happen. You've got to buy something that's going to appreciate. Create some, create some equity. And... Um, Emma and I had a dream of raising our children on a farm. Our oldest our child's 12. And um, I remember we got this put option and we had to get 160 grand net profit, net profit to put into this, into this farm. If we, if we never came up with the funds to buy that farm on the, in January 2017, we lost our 160 grand deposit. So our neck was right on the line. But I want to say to you that no turtle goes nowhere unless he puts his head out of his shell. And often your comfort, your comfort will create your discomfort. It's not until you get uncomfortable that you'll actually move at times. And I just remember we got, we got the money. We got the money. We got the money. And sure, we had one and a half million dollars worth of debt, but that didn't frighten me. And I just remember renovating that house absolutely flat out, 28 days to renovate the whole house, and I worked day and night, and my goal was to move into that house the day I turned 35, and I did. And you know, I just remember just going, this is my dream, this is my dream. This is a dream that I've dreamt of since I was 11. So I wanna encourage every person here today, if you've got a dream, if you've got a dream, don't let anybody put you down, and don't get so discouraged that you think you'll never be able to achieve it because you might just be surprised. Yeah. I, I think there's two really good things there. there. There's two really good points there. One is, yeah, totally buried the lead on you having six kids. But to be fair, you should download the podcast and you find out all about it. So, you know, I don't want to give everything away up here. But I think secondly is that thing, again, is being practical and not, not waiting for perfection, but looking for 
progress, you know, just trying to get ahead as opposed to saying, oh, but it's not perfect, it's not exactly the right thing. Um, I, I'd love to know what, what sort of one takeaway that you, that you all have, because I think, you know, we're all, we've all heard a lot of things today, and I know I've heard some really cool things that I want to sort of remember. So I'd love to know what sort of one thing you think that, even if everything else gets washed out of your brain, people should take away today. And I'm going to ask Olympia first. Um, I think the hardest, and we've all touched on it in some way, I think the hardest thing that sometimes is you, you see where you want to be and you want to walk in a straight line to where that is. But for whatever reason, every time you take the forward step, you're kicked sideways or backwards at least six. And I... I've found over time that when I kind of stop resisting that pushback, I find myself in a place that actually sets me up to be where I am. So they called me a beautician on the um, advertisement. So if you go to my LinkedIn, I look like I've had ADD in my career. And most of it's because shitty things happened in my life, but also because I ended up just deciding that I was going to take any opportunity that I found that was interesting because at the time I couldn't do the job that I wanted to do. And if I hadn't have done that, um, I wouldn't know how to pitch an investor. I wouldn't know how to raise money. Um, I wouldn't know how to build out budgets the way that I do because I build out forecast budgets for stuff that doesn't exist. And that's more about modelling and imagination than it is about taking what is known. And so, and then, and all the social media and marketing experience that I have on top of my existing farming and production experience. Because I haven't sat in agriculture, which is not my goal, like I wanted to stay there, but it means when I engage stakeholders, I literally and annoyingly to some people have something to say to everyone. I don't need to just talk about one thing. I don't need to just talk about maggots. I can talk about robotics. We'll talk about software. You want to talk about sustainable systems. You want to talk about circular economy. You want to talk about raising money. That's fine. And I think there's no way to understate how important it is that to be really, really great in your chosen industry, you have to be across or spend some time in other industries and, and learn about what they're doing because we have done something that very few hardware companies have been able to do. We've delivered a commercially viable robotic system that is now deployable to manage five tonnes of food waste per day with insects autonomously and on site. We did it with $1.2 million and a team of six people in less than nine months. And so that, but that's only because we spent a lot more time talking to people in industries that had nothing to do with what we did. And so we didn't stay in the insect farming industry. We, we went down to Melbourne and I sent my robotics engineers and hardware engineers to talk to every food manufacturing engineer in they could find because we knew that there had to be systems out there. So I would suggest that you find industries that are somewhat are interesting to you, you don't need to go work in them, but find opportunities to actually go and engage with other industries because you'll learn and learn and learn. Yeah, I think we're actually entering a phase where being a jack of all trades is super useful. So this idea of like, oh, he's not a specialist in anything. It's like, yeah, that's great. Because, yeah, everything joins together. You'll hire specialists. 
Yeah, like yeah, if you're exactly, leading yeah. a business, you don't need yeah. you hire a specialist. Yeah. You you need to understand everything or be at cross it at least. So just to ask you the question again, Paul, I'd love to know what, what do you think one takeaway should be today? We've got the baby alarm clock, so I reckon we're gonna wrap <laughs> it up pretty quick. And then we get to have some uh, another snack, so just to put the pressure on you. Yeah, yeah just, just a pithy, you know, takeaway yeah. that everyone should remember for the rest of their lives. <laughs> oh, right, here we go. Right now. I reckon just if you've got a goal, you've got to do it. Because, like, I was a roofer and it sucked ass. It was, like, the shittest thing you could do. But, like, I used to remember looking at me clock and listening to Triple J and be like, all right, that's the lunch news and wait and wait and wait. Now I'm fishing, like, I can be on that boat for 40 hours or whatever and not sleep because you sleep when you're dead. And um, it doesn't bother me. Like, you just got to, if you, you want, if you want that dream, you got to do it because you live it and it's fun. And as a, as a young father, or as a father of a young oh, baby, you, yeah, let's talk about sleep. Now, yeah. you've given us a few nuggets today, but I reckon you might have one little pithy one for us. What do you think, oh, Jared? What's mate. the takeaway? Uh, the takeaway, the takeaway, the takeaway is... Um, this is a snack-sized takeaway, too. The snack size can't be big. Well, it might be too big, because I'll tell you now, 80% of the people that are here today will not do anything with what they've learnt. 20% of people that come to a conference actually put into action anything they learn. So I reckon at this conference, it's been so awesome. And I want to encourage you before you go today to write something down that you are going to do. Because you know what? Information without application leads to fascination. But information with application creates a transformation. And each of us, in order to have a transformation, need to apply what we've learned today. And the last one is... If you hang around, if you, if you want to fly like an eagle, don't hang around with turkeys. <laughs> the people that you associate with will determine your future. That's a good one to, to end up on. I, I think you should all look next to each other and say, oh, 80%, 20%, which one? <laughs> no, thank you very much, guys. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I really have to plug it one more time. You should, you should absolutely download the podcast. It's called Propagate. You can get it on your favourite podcast app, but you can also get it on YouTube. So... If you're not really a podcaster, you can jump on there and get a propagate podcast. You hear all these stories plus more. And I think uh, I'd like to thank everyone for coming. So thank you very much. That was Jared Amory, Paul Aquilina and Olympia Yaga speaking at the Young Farmer Business Program Conference, moderated by Corey Haig. Want to learn more about what it takes to create a successful primary production business? Check out the rest of The Business of Farming in your podcast feed or online. In the next episode, Chris Helder shares how to shift your thinking with one simple step. And here's idea number one for today. Ready? Positive thinking doesn't work. What, Chris? Positive thinking's a staple in modern motivation. I know you think that, but not really. Not so much. <laughs>